It's no secret that back in December of 2017, when Arizona State's Vice President for University Athletics, Ray Anderson, decided to hire Herm Edwards as the next head coach for Arizona State football, that it was a personnel decision that was met with a lot of ridicule, let alone skepticism. But Ray Anderson said that he wanted an NFL model for his ASU football program, and he wanted a recruiting class that would have a much larger, more consistent number of four stars in terms of its makeup. And while Arizona State's 2020 recruiting class is still very much work in progress, it already has six four stars among this group and more to come later on in the cycle. So in this episode of the Devil's Junkies podcast, we'll talk about the crop of Sun Devil newcomers and also the several coaching changes that took place on the Sun Devil staff, what was behind them, and how do we see these new coaches impacting the program in the short and the long term. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. Welcome to Devil's Junkies Podcast. I'm your host and devilsdigest.com publisher, Hode Rubino. And I don't know if Ray Anderson is one of those I told you so type of people that will be walking around Tempe gloating that his vision for the ASU football program just a short two years ago is slowly but surely starting to come to fruition, especially when it comes to the recruiting class. But you know what? When you look at Arizona State coming out of the early signing period with 13 signees and nearly half of them four-star prospects, I think that Ray Anderson definitely has earned the right to silence the critics, at least when it comes to the caliber of the recruiting class. Now, obviously, you need to have, have the right coaches in place to make sure that you maximize that talent. And we'll talk later in the podcast about the several, several coaching moves that were made over here in a short uh, two and a half week period or so in December. But uh, for now, let's talk about these in- incoming freshmen uh, to the Sun Devil program. Like I said, a, a very impressive group of players addressing needs increasing depth, increasing talent in many different positions on this squad. So because this is a small group of signees, I can go and talk a little about each and every one of them. And let's start on the offense. Demonte Trainum, a prospect who I thought was a little underrated going into his senior year, but as Arizona State signs him this past Wednesday, he is a four-star prospect, ranked sixth in the state of Ohio. Yes, I said the state of Ohio, 16th. Uh, among all all running backs in the 2020 recruiting class. And it really was worth ASU's efforts to travel a couple of time zones away and get this player out of uh, out of Big Ten country, a player that did have scholarship offers from Ohio State, from Wisconsin, from Penn State, and make no mistake about it, all those three schools, obviously much closer geographically to train them, were absolutely in the running to land him, but ultimately he, he, he and his family really wanted to move as far as away from Ohio and, and settle in Arizona. And my staff writer, Jordan Kay, did an excellent piece on DeMonte Trainum. If you look up his player card on Rivals.com or Network, you'll see the article that really it gives you a lot of insight to DeMonte and his family, how, how it is growing up there in Ohio, uh, in Akron, a suburb of Cleveland, 
and the reasons that led him and his family to want to move to Arizona. So Arizona State may have just found its heir apparent to Eno Benjamin. And granted, I know that that might be some of the risky statement to make because Eno Benjamin leaves huge shoes behind to fill. But nonetheless, I think DeMonte Trainham, at least from a physical standpoint, standing 5'11", 215 pounds, is somebody that I think just might able to make up a lot of the ground that needs to be made up when you have one of the best running backs in school history in Eno Benjamin depart the program. Benjamin, as you may recall, is skipping his senior year to enter the 2020 NFL draft. But uh, this, this is a player that has a golden opportunity in front of him to be the man in the Arizona State backfield. And I think that he definitely has the tools to really be that that player for that player for the Sun Devils. Uh, next player on offense we'll talk about is Chad Johnson uh, Jr. Yes, he is the son of uh, Ocho Cinco, the former NFL wide receiver who played so many years with the Cincinnati Bengals under Marvin Lewis, who is an advisor to the ASU football program. Uh, he also be coaching on the field for the uh, Sun Bowl, and we'll talk about that a little later in the podcast as, as far as the circumstances that led to that. But Chad Johnson, another four-star prospect, ranked uh, 30th in the the state of California, attended Cathedral High School in Los Angeles. Because that program did struggle quite a bit in 2019, really didn't have great numbers to show for. But overall, uh, somebody who has been recruited for quite a while uh, to to the Sun Devils, the coaches joked on on the signing day press conference, it seemed like that Chad Johnson was... uh, committed there even before home Edwards arrived in Tempe. But when you talk about the NFL model resonating with recruits, I think that even goes double to kids like Chad Johnson, who obviously grew up in in an NFL household. And when you have your dad playing that many years in the NFL, seeing what's going on over here in Tempe with home Edwards, the way he's running this program, having several assistant coaches on his staff, that do have NFL connections one way or another, that is definitely something that that is attractive to somebody like Chad Johnson, who definitely saw early on and earlier really than any of his fellow incoming freshmen that Arizona State was building this program the right way, and he wanted to be a part of it and jump on the trend early, as Herm Edwards would say. The next player in offense uh, for now is uh, probably the, the crown jewel, of this program, Johnny Wilson, a wide receiver who may also play tight end, 6'6", 230 pounds, attended Calabasas High School, and he was the only recruit in this class at Arizona State was able to flip their commitment and did so no less from Pac-12 foe Oregon, who ended up with the top 10 recruiting class. So that shows you how formidable uh, the, the Ducks program was in terms of hauling in a a fine group of newcomers. But nonetheless, I think that uh, Arizona State being able to switch Wilson from Oregon over to to the Sun Devils is definitely no small feat. A top 100 prospect uh, in this class, number 89 to be exact, ranked number 11th in the state of California, ranked 15th among all, all wide receivers. And there's really not much hidden over here when it comes to what a guy like Wilson can bring to the table, obviously a huge 
target standing at 6'6". I did stand next to him when he officially visited Arizona State in early November. And trust me, he is all of 6'6". He is a player that if Bobby Hurley happened to pass by, would definitely want maybe to snag him over to over to the ASU basketball team just from, just from a physical standpoint. And he's uh, somebody that some would say actually peaked maybe a little early in, in, in his sophomore year, actually started out two years ago as a five-star recruit and later w- went to a four-star just because perhaps wasn't able to maintain that high bar that he set for himself early on. But, but, but make no mistake about it, this is a wide receiver that can contribute quite a bit for Arizona State, really can fit the offensive scheme that Zach Hill, the new offensive coordinator for Arizona State, wants to implement here in Tempe. So if Wilson indeed can deliver on his promise and maybe has that chip on his shoulder because he was downgraded a couple years ago from a five-star to a four-star, then Arizona State has an absolute weapon on its hands. Somebody that the ASU coaches were not shy compared to Nikhil Harry as far as being a great 50-50 wide receiver ball, being able to come on the right end of many contested passes that would be thrown his way. So there's definitely a lot of reason for genuine excitement for a player like Johnny Wilson. And something I should have mentioned also with DeMonte Trainum, both Trainum and Wilson are early enrollees expected to be on campus in January, will attend spring practice, and that absolutely is invaluable for development of a young player. Rounding out the five offensive players that were signed by Arizona State are two offensive linemen, a local lineman Ben Bray from Mesa Red Mountain, 6'5", 270, projected. Definitely has a guard, but probably could be also a tackle with a 6'5", 270 frame. And Jake, Jacob Nunez, 6'4", 280 from Lompoc, California. He's definitely more of a road grader guard type type of player. Both of those linemen are going to be early enrollees as well. Again, there's no way you can overstate the significance of arriving on, on campus early, especially for a role such as an offensive lineman where you really need as many reps as, as you can possibly get in order to develop, hopefully, at, at a quicker rate, at a position where really patience is, is a virtue. We remember that uh, Donovan West, who ended up being the starting right guard for Arizona State this year after starting the first two games at center, was also a spring enrollee in 2019. And that is definitely one aspect that allowed him to play as, as early as he did. And by the way, speaking of Donovan West, uh, just a quick note, Donovan West and the three quarterbacks, Jaden Daniels, Ethan Long, and Joe Yellen, who's no longer with the program, obviously, that was the list of early enrollees for Arizona State this past spring. This uh, spring practice, which is going to start the last week of February in 2020, Arizona State stands to have 10 early enrollees in practice, nine of them from the high school ranks, and one of them is going to be a graduate transfer offensive lineman. So Arizona State definitely did a great job of not only adding a lot of quality pieces to its class, but also landing such a large number of players that are going to be able to get their toes in the water, so to speak, really early in their career. They don't have to wait the entire year until the summer to arrive over here. They're going to get invaluable reps at spring practice, be under the weighted conditioning 
program for Arizona State for a good six, seven months before the season actually starts. Those are just elements that are so crucial in the development of, of a young player. It can ease a transition that much more. There's really no way to compare an incoming freshman as talented as he, as he may be just arriving here in June, July, and then expected to perhaps contribute with the program just two months later versus somebody who arrives here in January and actually has eight months to acclimate to absolutely every aspect of what it means to be a student athlete on the field, off the field, and you're almost a grizzled veteran, and maybe I'm being a little sarcastic here, but you definitely have a lot of the been there, done that elements of your transition by the time August rolls by because you've already been on campus, been part of the team for eight solid months. So moving on to the defensive side of the ball, eight players were signed on defense, nearly half of them four-star prospects. So again, you're seeing that there's a large volume of high-caliber prospects that were inked by the Sun Devils in this class. And it's no secret that Arizona State needs a lot of help up front on the defensive line, especially when it comes to competent pass rushers. And I think that even only signing two players in this role, the Sun Devils did a very good job addressing that need. I thought both of them are four-star prospects. Let's start with Omar Norman Lott. And as many know, he is the nephew of defensive line coach Jamar Kane, was actually the ring bearer in uh, Jamar's wedding several years ago. So like Herm Edwards said, if Arizona State is not able to land a player such as Norman Lott, then something uh, is definitely wrong with his recruiting capabilities. But all jokes aside, uh, Omar Norman Lott ranked 29th in the state of California, 27th among all defensive tackles. And he's really somebody that has the versatility to play inside or outside. I'm really curious to see what kind of role Arizona State is ultimately going to utilize him in. Uh, 6'3", 296, but like I said, he's definitely athletic enough and nimble enough to be a pass rusher from the outside. Obviously, in the 3-3-5 scheme, you're not playing the exact type of defensive end than you would in a traditional 4-3 position, for example. So I think that he really fits the scheme quite well with his body type, with his skill set to be someone that can actually line up on the outside. But I definitely would not rule out, especially with his frame, somebody that would play some nose tackle uh, at, at, in some cases. As a senior, he uh, posted 45 tackles, nine for loss, including five sacks, uh, only played in six games, actually. But uh, he is somebody that is also arriving early in the spring, so will be part of, uh, of spring practice. And really curious to see what kind of impact player he can be for Arizona State. Uh, he is somebody that I think ASU definitely needs to be an immediate impact player on that, on that defensive line, which really needs a lot of help, as we mentioned. Another four-star prospect defensive lineman signed by Arizona State is Joe Moore from St. Louis, Missouri, ranked eighth in the state, top 15 as a weak side uh, defensive end, 6'3", 240, somebody who uh, really had a lot of interest from Big Ten country, just like DeMonte Trainum, and for Arizona State to come and uh, snag him 
from not really that nearby is definitely uh, is definitely a, a very very uh, cool, cool achievement by Jamar Kane. And I really should mention about uh, Jamar Kane when it comes to not only the number but the quality of players that Jamar Kane was directly responsible for. When all is said and done, just take a look at how many four-star players Jamar Kane landed in this class. And I think you'll be really, really impressive for a first-year assistant coach at Arizona State. He has done an absolute magnificent job. And like I said, landing these two very talented linemen in Omar Norman Lod and Joe Moore is really on the tip of the iceberg in terms of showing Jamar Kane's recruiting capabilities. And I was also especially tapping the Northern California region. I know Arizona State really prides itself recruiting Southern California very, very well. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes as we wrap up the discussion on the 2020 recruiting class. But the region of Northern California definitely has some talent. It may not be the sheer volume that we see from Southern California, but nonetheless, I think that when you see the dust settling down with this recruiting class, you'll see the number of four-star recruits that Jamar Kane was able to land from that region. And I think it'll be very, very impressive. But really, I would say first and foremost, addressing the defensive line as impressive, impressively as he did with landing uh, two four-star recruits is definitely uh, something that Arizona State can hang the hat on. Then you move to the linebacker position, uh, Jordan Banks. Uh, if we talk about one of the crown jewels of this class, he definitely fits that description. Ranked 139th nationally, top 20 in California, top eight as as far as an inside linebacker, 6'2", When attended high school in uh, in uh, Harbor City, Narbonne High School to be exact, a high school that's been very, very kind of for, for Arizona State, obviously with uh, Darren Butler coming there coming from there, I'm sorry, the year before, and a lot of uh, good recruits in that, in that pipeline in years to come. And uh, Jordan Banks is, is someone that is versatile enough to play inside or outside. One of the best players in, in the state of California, probably overshadowed by some other linebackers, such as Justin Flo in, in Southern California. But nonetheless, uh, this is one linebacker that... I definitely expect a lot of great things from Arizona State. And his position coach, Antonio Pierce, who's obviously also the recruiting coordinator for the Sun Devils, said that uh, there's nothing wrong bringing such a high-caliber player in Jordan Banks as you're going to have already two proven linebackers who are going to be juniors next year in Merlin Robinson and Darren Butler. Like I said, ironically, Butler attending the same school as Jordan Banks. And Pierce said that, as accomplished as both Butler and Robertson are, they need to be challenged. And when you bring somebody the caliber of Jordan Banks, who still could line up alongside them in this 3-3-5 scheme, make no mistake about that. But even if there was a direct position battle, that's when Antonio Pierce absolutely relishes to get everybody in his group playing better. So Antonio Pierce was definitely not going to wait until the 2021 class to bring some competent linebackers just because he had two returning starters in Robertson and Butler. He wants to challenge him right here, right now. Jordan Banks is somebody who's going to arrive early on campus. And I think that it's going to be absolutely fascinating to see how Banks fits with Robertson and Butler. Does he challenge them directly in terms of starter duties or does he just line up al- alongside them? But uh, this linebacker group, 
who I think maybe took somewhat of a step back in 2019, I think with having this much firepower with Jordan Banks uh, can really elevate the play of this group that much more. The other linebacker signed by Arizona State, and I'm not quite ready to dole out awards for this recruiting class. I want to make sure that everybody is signed first before we attend to that order of business. But if there's any sleeper in this class, somebody that might be just a little underrated, at least in my opinion, this is this next player, Caleb McCullough, a linebacker from Pacifica High School in Oxnard, California, 6'2", 210, a state champion with uh, with his high school. Uh, still ranked uh, top 45 in the state of California, top 40 in his position of outside linebacker. So I wouldn't say absolutely disrespected in terms of rankings and whatnot, but somebody who definitely flies under the radar compared to a Jordan Banks and, again, compared to a lot of good linebackers coming out of Southern California in this 2020 recruiting class. But he was uh, definitely a very highly productive linebacker in, in, in high school, uh, had 234 total tackles uh, just in his senior year, 19 tackles for loss with four sacks, 20 quarterback hurries, five pass deflections. So this guy absolutely just stuffed up the, the stat sheet and then some for, the, for his high school. Somebody that Antonio Pierce targeted really, really early in the recruiting class, I would say was definitely a silent commit uh, ever since the summer months. To, to the Sun Devils, uh, somebody that uh, U- USC and UCLA did a bad job, quite frankly, evaluating him and coming to the party way too late compared to a school like Arizona State. And that's why the Sun Devils were able to add McCollum uh, to the mix, much like his incoming freshman teammate Jordan Banks also arriving here in the spring. So this linebacker group, I, I don't know how much talk they'll be going into spring practice about this. I think the wide receiver group might be talked about more uh, for obvious reasons that we'll just know more about in the next couple of weeks. But I think this linebacker group with Banks and McCullough and the returning talent of Butler, Robinson, uh, Kyle Soley, then you have an X factor in, uh, in, in Stanley Lambert, who you would hope in the spring would be finally healthy after an absolute significant knee injury that he suffered in bowl practices this time last year, this linebacker group can be absolutely extremely special for Arizona State in 2020. A good mixture of veteran and and, and young talent in this group. So I'm really looking forward uh, to this linebacker, linebacker group. And like I said, the players like Banks and, and, and McCullough arriving early on campus, uh, there's really going to be a lot of fireworks flying, I think, in spring practice from this role. Rounding out the list of signees on this side of the ball are four defensive backs. First one is T. Lee, another early enrollee that's going to be here in the spring. 5'10", 170 pounds from Buford, Georgia. And I know sometimes Arizona State fans wonder why do the Sun Devil staff travel two, three time zones away to recruit players. Well, T. Lee, for example, is a player that already had coaches on his high school staff that had connections to Herm Edwards and other coaches on the Arizona State staff. So it definitely was a trip worthwhile, so to speak. And Teeley is somebody who really had a very impressive list of offers uh, ranging from Alabama to Louisville, Miami, Michigan State, Missouri, NC State, Notre Dame, Oregon. The list goes on and on. 
a, a top 65 player in the state of Georgia, somebody who can play either safety or cornerback for the, for Arizona State, but another player that the coaching staff targeted really early in the process. He rewarded them with an extremely early commitment, especially for somebody coming out of state back in November 22nd of 2018. So again, I know that some ASU fans are scratching their heads. Why would Arizona State travel deep into SEC country to try to recruit a player? Well, sometimes it does work out. And when you have a player from that region of the country committed so long to Arizona State, it just shows you that identifying him as a recruiting prospect, as somebody who's likely to, to join the ranks, was definitely the right call to be made. And believe it or not, T. Lee is not the furthest geographical recruit, if you will, to sign with Arizona State this last week. Uh, that honor goes to D'Angelo Taylor from Tampa Catholic in Tampa, Florida. Again, you talk about a lot of coaches on his high school staff that did have connections to Herm Edwards and others with, with the Arizona State staff. Uh, 5'11", 190, uh, another player that had uh, a really nice list of offers uh, ranging from Iowa State, Kansas State, Louisville, Michigan State, Nebraska, North Carolina, South Carolina, West Virginia. And he's somebody that, like many of the defensive recruits that Arizona State signs in each and every given year, has a versatility to either play cornerback or one of the safety positions, not not, not being the Tillman safety, that is. So another really t- talented player, which again made it worth Arizona State's while to travel that far to land him. And I know for a fact this is a another prospect that Arizona State coaches identified really early in the process, were very, very high on for a long, long time, and are really happy that they're able to secure him and make him official this past Wednesday. Another defensive Prospect that was signed uh, last weekend, uh, much closer to Arizona State in comparison. Another Harbor City Narbonne player, Mason Williams, 5'10", 170, ranked top 50 in the state of California, ranked top 45 uh, as a, among all cornerbacks. And I think he's somebody who actually is going to be probably more slotted towards the cornerback role rather than uh, maybe having the opportunity to play uh, safety had 30 tackles as a senior and 44 as a junior uh, throughout his varsity career at 14 pass deflections and three and three interceptions. Uh, playing for one of the better programs in Southern California, uh, he definitely was able to grab the attention of the Arizona State coaches quite early. I would uh, list him as another silent commit for several months for the Sun Devils. And... As mentioned earlier with Jordan Banks, if you can establish a good pipeline to a high school such as Narbonne in in Harbor City, California, you are definitely doing something right because that is a program that's going to keep on churning out the talent each each and every recruiting class. And Mason Williams, I think, has an excellent chance. Uh, to be an early contributor at cornerback for the Sun Devils. Last but not least, as far as defensive players signed in this 2020 recruiting class, Ed Woods from McClitimus High School in Oakland, California. I know that Northern California doesn't get nearly as much pub when it comes to recruiting compared to the Southern California schools, but he plays for a program that's been an absolute powerhouse in that region of the country. 
Woodstands, 6-0-175. I think he's another player who has the versatility to play either cornerback or, or, or safety. He's somebody that has been one of the latest additions to the recruiting board for, for Arizona State. I mean, if you made a list of the five players that were eventually added to this recruiting board for Arizona State, uh, he's probably in, in that list. Somebody that Arizona State quite simply beat head-to-head with with Arizona. He was supposed to take a visit to USC that offered him later on, ended up not taking that visit, uh, did uh, also get an offer from, from Washington State. So took a little while for him to be on the radar of Arizona State and its Pac-12 foes, but once he was on the radar, he was definitely highly coveted by Arizona State, another Jamar Kane recruit, so ec- ec- excellent job in landing a player that can add to the depth of the de- of the defensive backfield for Arizona State, which under a 3-3-5 scheme uh, definitely can use a good group of quality defensive backs. Ed Woods definitely fits that description. So wrapping up the discussion on Arizona State's 2020 recruiting class, you have eight signees from the state of California. That number, I know for a fact, is going to grow in the weeks to come. And that just goes back to my earlier point that this recruiting class is very much work in progress. And I don't mean that by any negative connotation at all. I think that once ASU fans will publicly know the results that are to come in the next next couple of weeks, the players that are poised to round out the recruiting class for Arizona State. This is a class that's going to be ranked, if not in the top 25, pretty close to it. Uh, definitely is going to add a good number of four stars to the mix. Is going to add more players from, from the state of California. And I know there's been a lot of discussion over the amount of effort that Arizona State is putting in California versus the state of Arizona. What is more prudent path to take when it comes to that? And Arizona State really having only one signee from the from the state of Arizona versus eight and more to come from the state of California is definitely uh, an interesting talking point concerning this recruiting class. And I don't think that there was a heated answer given by Antonio Pierce on the signing day press conference. But he simply said, look, we're putting efforts to try and land the top recruits in state and if we can't find those guys in Arizona, we're not going to bang our heads against the wall. We're going to look and land them in Southern California. And again, I think when this recruiting class is all said and done, you'll see the caliber of talent that Arizona State has been able to land from California. And I shouldn't say only Southern California because only California would be representative quite well in this class. So I think that the ASU coaches basically drew a line in the sand and said, look, we're not going to pander to any in-state recruit, no matter how highly regarded he is. If that person does not want to stay with the hometown team, we'll shake his hand, we'll wish him good luck, and we'll move on to land high-caliber recruits from the state of California. And again, this is not bravado. This is not any sugarcoating. This is not any narrative to make you feel good that you weren't able to land players in your backyard. Those are the cold, hard facts about Arizona State's recruiting class. It's getting good players. Why they're not getting it from the state of Arizona? Everybody has their own theory, but the bottom line is that the ASU coaches are not going to worry and lose sleep over that aspect. They're going to go to California and land the best recruits they can if doors, for whatever reason, are shut over here nearby to their to their Tempe campus. So it's one of those things where it 
it is what it is. And I know a lot of people hate that cliche when it comes to football, football life itself. But it's almost come to a point where I don't know what else you can say about Arizona State not landing the best players in the state. I think there definitely were some sins committed, if you will, by, by previous staff. I think that Arizona State staff is doing a much better job in that regard. Some would argue maybe not doing enough. But then again, when you look at what Arizona State did this past spring, offering the top 15 players in the state from the 2022 class, I think things are being done differently here in Tempe when it comes to in-state recruiting. And all those folks that they offered locally in the 2022 class can never come back one year, 10 years down the road and said, yeah, Arizona State wasn't showing me a lot of love during the recruiting process. They lost that argument forever once Arizona State was the first school to target them and recruit them heavily. So I personally hope there are going to be more in-state recruits in in future classes for Arizona State, but I think it definitely should be comforting to ASU fans to know that landing the best recruits in the state of California, whether it's Southern California or Northern California, that is something Arizona State has demonstrated with this 2020 recruiting class. And when you go to states such as Missouri, such as Ohio, and you're landing top 10 players from those states, again, it shows the reach that Arizona State has, not only close by to California, but also far away to states such as that. So if in-state recruits just don't want to give Arizona State the time of day, that's their decision. But it's really important to keep in mind that with this 2020 recruiting class, Arizona State is demonstrating that it's not going to be hurt by the approach, if you will, that these in-state recruits are taking towards Arizona State. I, sh- I know a lot of them want to see Arizona State win and win big. And you can make the argument that a lot of in-state recruits didn't necessarily go to programs that this past season performed head and shoulders above what Arizona State has, has put forth. But again, time will tell if the tide will turn when it comes to the in-state recruits and their willingness to sign with Arizona State. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't hurt the Sun Devils one iota that they need to look elsewhere instead of their backyard to land quality recruits, that's just a predicament that the coaching staff is willing, maybe even more than happy to work with because they have demonstrated success in that area. So we talked about most of the new young faces that are going to join the Sun Devils in the 2020 season. Now let's talk about the several different coaches that are going to join the ranks for the Sun Devils. There's a lot to talk about in that department, and we're going to discuss that next. If anyone thought that Herm Edwards came to Tempe just to ride his last few years in coaching before he retires and enjoy some good golf in the process that the Phoenix Metro area can definitely offer, then you were sadly mistaken because of the swift action that he took. And obviously we talked about this in the last podcast, the day after the regular season ended, Herm Edwards made a very bold statement by dismissing Offensive coordinator Rob Likens, wide receivers coach Charlie Fisher, and tight ends coach Donnie Yantis. And I'm not saying that Herm Edwards acted on the 
wishes or desires of the Sun Devil Nation, but the fact that those coaches were older than a lot of other members of the ASU coaching staff, the fact that they didn't really didn't have a lot of recruiting prowess, if you will, to show for their couple years on the staff, I think that was definitely a huge area of concern for Herm Edwards that prompted him to make that decision so quickly after the regular season ended. And I think that's a move that really impressed a lot of ASU fans, especially those who are critical of Herm Edwards. So on the same token, we look at the offensive side of the ball, which, by the way, wasn't the only side that had some coaching changes. Well, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But staying here on offense, the hires of Zach Hill as the offensive coordinator, the former Boise State offensive coordinator, as well as Prentice Gill, who came at, from Oregon as an offensive analyst, and Derek Hagan, who was promoted from offensive analyst at Arizona State to wide receivers coach. Those hires definitely had a lot of significance to them because you're getting a staff now that is younger and really matching their age more or less right now with the defensive side of the ball for Arizona State. And look, I think it takes a lot of self-realization from somebody in, the, in his mid-60s, such as Herm Edwards, to know that he needs a younger staff on the offensive side of the ball as well. And I'm not saying that the birth certificate of Hill, Gill, and Hagen is really what played a huge part in this, but when it comes to recruiting and recruiting well, that is definitely something that does help you quite a lot. And that's really just a byproduct of today's college football, where it really is a young man's game. And if you're going to be a school that prides itself on playing that many freshmen, I think it would behoove you to hire younger coaches that can better relate to those players. Now, don't get me wrong. The competency level definitely has to be there. You have to bring skills and expertise to the table. You can't just be a coach at Arizona State or any other program for that matter just because you're a great recruiter, but your so-called X's and O's abilities are questionable at best. That That's not the case at all, and I'm sure that Herm Edwards examined that aspect of the hires just as much as the recruiting ability of those new additions to the Arizona State staff. But there's no doubt in my mind that Herm Edwards wanted more youth and more more vigor, if you will, for this side of the ball when it came to the coaching staff. And I think he definitely got that with guys in their 30s, such as Hagen and Gill and Zach Hill, who was actually 40 years old on the dot. So let's start talking about each of those new faces on the coaching staff, starting with Zach Hill, as we mentioned, came from Boise State as their offensive coordinator. And the Broncos, as we know, was one of those smaller teams, if you will, that everybody hates to play. Uh, Definitely wins the Mountain West Conference with quite regularity and is ranked in the top 25 seemingly each and every year for this past decade. Uh, When the Broncos entered the bowl season, they ranked 19th nationally after uh, winning their fourth Mountain West title, and their offense was ranked 38th in total offense and 14th in the country, averaging 36.8 points. Now, yes, uh, this is a Boise State team that got drilled just the other day by Washington in, in the Las Vegas Bowl. How much the absence of Zach Hill from the coaching staff on that day affected 
the Broncos or not, that may be up for debate. But nonetheless, when you look at just the body of work of what Hill was able to do with Boise State, I think really keeping the tradition of an innovative and explosive offense, uh, that's uh, something that Hill definitely has on his resume in spades. And this is to say, played a huge part in Horm Edwards targeting Hill really, really in the process and being lucky enough to land him in Tempe as Hill, a young, hungry coach, wanted that challenge now to go from the G5 level to the Power 5 level and be an offensive coordinator at a school such as Arizona State. What I do like about Hill is that his offenses definitely are the type of units that kept defenses on their toes. They can move from a two-tight end set to a two-quarterback set, really in the blink of an eye, uh, really changing up formations quite quite a bit and really presenting uh, the defenses, not only leading up to a game during game preparation phase, but even on game day itself, giving that opposing defensive coordinator a lot to chew on. I think that all those traits that Hill has demonstrated, who actually came from an RPO system in Eastern Washington, ran a lot of pro-style two tight end sets at Boise State, but really wasn't limited only only to that. Uh, really, really was attractive to Herm Edwards, who definitely has to make sure for the two more years that he has yet in Daniels, which means, yes, I do expect Daniels to declare to the NFL draft after the 2021 season. I know that might be a little putting the cart in front of the horse, but just making a prediction that is not outlandish uh, by any means. And I think the majority of folks that follow Arizona State would agree with me on that matter. But when you look at that small window that you now have with Jaden Daniels, you have to make sure that through recruiting, you're definitely getting all the best playmakers you can get to surround himself. Going back to my early point on the recruiting class, when it's all said and done with this group of newcomers, Jaden Daniels is going to have a lot of weapons at his disposal. I have no doubt about that. But now you have to make sure that you can coach up that talent. You can really maximize every ounce of talent from those newcomers and from returning players for that matter. And Zach Hill, I think definitely on paper, does have the capabilities for doing exactly that. I think another aspect that should not be overlooked is that Zach Hill played quarterback at the collegiate level and is definitely a quarterback developer. Some might even say a quarterback whisperer. And that's what really defines, by and large, good offensive coordinators. Uh, I know that Arizona State in the past did have offensive coordinators that may have not had the best success when it comes to a win-loss record, but guys even like Chip Lindsey and Billy Napier were true quarterback developers and were really able to develop the Arizona State signal callers during that tenure in Tempe as short as it was in the case of those two individuals. So I think that's a huge aspect in the hiring of Hill. Herm Edwards knew that when you have such a young and talented quarterback like Jaden Daniels that is barely scratched the surface, you have to give him the right offensive coordinator to develop his skills. And Zach Hill, in in Herm Edwards' opinion, is obviously someone that checks all the boxes that Herm Edwards needed to address as he was in search for a new offensive coordinator. And one last item, and this is an added bonus, which I think is getting downplayed a lot, I guess for obvious reasons, by Zach Hill, 
is that ASU's new offensive coordinator is extremely familiar with the Florida State defense. And what I what I mean by that is that if some may recall that Boise State actually faced Florida State in Tallahassee in week one of this 2019 college football season. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Herm Edwards wanted to hire Hill just because he knew that he had an upcoming contest with uh, Florida State. But that is definitely a very nice added bonus that Hill can offer a lot of insight for the Arizona State staff. And in turn, uh, that staff can definitely pick it, pick Hill's brain as much as they can. Again, if you listen to Hill's public comments, he's totally downplaying it. But there's no doubt in my mind that even though Hill is not going to be on the sideline actively coaching, as you may recall, Dave Christensen, the offensive line coach, Sean Aguano, the running backs coach, are going to share play calling duties on game day in the Sun Bowl and El Paso on December 31st. But make no mistake about it. Zach Hill is definitely going to be involved. I wouldn't be surprised even to see him wear headphones on the sidelines on game day or maybe even sits in the coach's booth. Who knows? But Hill is definitely going to give his two cents and much more than that as Arizona State looks to win its postseason contest with the Seminoles. Again, a a team that Zach Hill is extremely familiar with playing them just three short months ago. So moving on to another hire on the offensive side of the ball, and this is really a promotion of Derek Hagan, one of the best wide receivers to ever play this century for the Sun Devils, actually a 2015 Sun Devil Hall of Fame inductee. Uh, Hagan is somebody who spent the previous two seasons as an offensive analyst for the Sun Devils. In that capacity, spent a lot of majority uh, working uh, with the coaching staff overseeing the wide receivers group. Uh, As a reminder to some, when you're an offensive analyst, You really have to be 100% behind the scenes, if you will. You cannot coach players one-on-one on on the practice field or or on game day. So Derek Hagan's input was really just given to Arizona State's wide receivers coach to pass on and just really help develop that group as, as much as he could. Obviously, he was involved in game planning as well. But now for such a young, charismatic personality, such as Hagen, who does have quite a bit of knowledge, but also brings a lot to the table when it comes to recruiting abilities. Now to be more hands-on, have a much more personal relationship with the wide receivers, uh, that is something that's going really going to help a lot. I think also kind of smooth as a transition where Jen and Daniels might have some kind of acclimation period to go with a new offensive coordinator in Zach Hill, but all the wide receivers returning for Arizona State know Derek Hagan very, very well. And even though he wasn't able to do a whole lot of one-on-one coaching with them, it's a familiar face. It's a familiar voice, albeit voice that's maybe more in the background than actually one that's interacting with them on a daily basis. But that can really help a lot uh, with the transition phase for this position, position group. When you talk about the NFL model that Arizona State prides itself so much on. Derek Hagan is somebody who played a few years in the NFL, knows what it takes to get get to that level. So we talk about the credibility of talking about that aspect with recruits. Derek Hagan definitely does have that. Uh, and really his accomplishments uh, here in Tempe, I think it says something when you're a wide receiver for Arizona State and you're looking as somebody that when he left the program, he was a Pac-12 record holder for career receptions, and he ranks the second all-time in the conference 
with 3,939 yards. He broke five school records uh, during his time with with Arizona State, was a two-time semifinalist for the Belitnikov Award. So there really is an accomplished player here at Arizona State, again, played at the NFL level. I think all those aspects really help you in luring wide receivers to join the ranks here in Tempe and also really establish that credibility once they do arrive here, that they're getting really high-level coaching instructions from somebody that definitely has the resume to back up what he is teaching. The last hire on offense is Prentzen Skill, somebody who came from the University of Oregon where he served as an offensive analyst, but really spent several years before that, actually since 2014, with the USC football program, started out as a staff assistant and was a graduate assistant for the Trojans between the years 2016 and 2018. And you talk about a player that is Southern California, true and true. The two high schools that actually played during his career are high schools that Arizona State was able to land recruits just in this 2020 class, Cathedral High School in Los Angeles and Narbonne High School in Harbor City, California. Gill also spent uh, two seasons as a wide receiver in Los Angeles Harbor Junior College. So you talk about somebody who has extensive connections, both at the high school and junior college level in the LA area. Uh, That is something that immensely can help Arizona State and I think already paid some dividends in this 2020 class. Herm Edwards affectionately called Apprentice Gill, I think Antonio Pierce 2.0 or something to that extent, but somebody who can help quite a bit recruit that region for for Arizona State. Another young, energetic uh, coach, coach who is really, really hungry to be a position coach, much like Derek Hagan, for the first time in his career. I think it's easy to look at Prentice Gill as somebody who's much more a recruiter than actually an X's and O's coach, but just getting early feedback from players and other people around the program, they've been very impressed how detailed Prentice Gill is in his coaching abilities. So this uh, is not a coach that I think has his skill set tilted much more to recruiting and less to player development. I think it's something that's actually balanced much better than people realize it is. I, I think under the radar, a huge, huge addition for, for Arizona State. He helped the Oregon program quite a bit with its recruiting efforts in this 2020 class. I think when it comes to flipping the commitment of Johnny Wilson from Oregon to Arizona State, Antonio Pierce definitely had a lot to do with that. But Prentice Gill, who obviously recruited Wilson quite a bit while he was serving as an offensive analyst at Oregon, now the fact that he was on board with Arizona State, I think just cemented that huge get for the Sun Devils in this 2020 recruiting class. So another great addition for Arizona State. And both Hagan and Gill are going to be dividing their coaching duties between inside and outside wide receivers and also be coaching tight ends in the process. I think what we will see probably in practices from here on out is that when the wide receivers are working more on their receiving skills than they'll be with Gill or Hagan. But uh, when they actually are working more on uh, blocking techniques and whatnot, they'll be more with offensive line coach Dave Christensen. But nonetheless, these two individuals that may have not known each other all that well before these new uh, staffing decisions seem to be getting along very well. The wide receivers 
have really taken to their coaching, doing pro bowl preparation. And I, I, I feel that this is definitely a move that will benefit a very young and talented wide receivers group for the Sun Devils in the 2020 season. So while the departures on the offensive side of the ball have been maybe somewhat predictable, on the defensive side of the ball, losing coordinator Danny Gonzalez was definitely something that was not a given right after the regular season ended. But once the position in the University of New Mexico's alma mater opened up, the rumors started, I would say, pretty fast and furious that Danny Gonzalez was going to be a prime candidate for that position. And a week ago uh, today, <laughs> literally 30 minutes after Danny Gonzalez addressed the media, definitely at that time not knowing that he would accept the offer from the Lobos, but did do exactly that. And now Arizona State was in search for a new defensive coordinator. So the debate that really raged among ASU fans is if you're going to promote from within, and I think folks did have a good indication that this is exactly what Herm Edwards is going to do, do you promote Tony White, the cornerbacks coach and defensive passing coordinator who was brought with Danny Gonzalez from San Diego State, somebody who was really considered Gonzalez's right hand in Tempe, because you wanted to preserve the 3-3-5 scheme? Or would you promote linebackers coach Antonio Pierce? Somebody we mentioned earlier in the podcast is obviously being instrumental in Arizona State, having a very formidable 2020 recruiting class really has revamped the whole recruiting ability of, of this program in two short years. And somebody who is highly coveted both in the college ranks and the NFL ranks, somebody that's really going to be hard to keep in Tempe for a long period of time. And if you promoted Pierce the defensive coordinator, I think you really removed that headache of losing him for a good three, four years, probably. So I think this decision was much tougher to Herm Edwards than some may realize. I do think he made the right decision in not trying to reinvent the wheel and go with a different defensive scheme that an Antonio Pierce promotion to defensive coordinator would necessitate. So by promoting Tony White to defensive coordinator, you preserve the 3-3-5 scheme, which ultimately is the defensive system that you are recruiting players to, is the defensive system that the current players are best suited for, and just keep that continuity on this side of the ball was a prudent thing to do. Now, I know this 2019 ASU defense received quite a bit of criticism, especially during the four-game losing streak. But when you look at the overall improvement of this defense, which I believe that Tony White has a much bigger role than people realize that he does, you're looking at a unit that went from giving up 31.3 points on average and 447 yards a game in 2017, all the way down to yielding just 23.1 points per game and 386.9 yards on average this year in 2019. And those numbers obviously did go down uh, from the 2018 season as well. So Tony White has definitely been a big part of that improvement of the Arizona State defense. And that obviously did not go unnoticed by Herm Edwards. Now, if we're being fair about putting all the stats on the table, Arizona State ranked uh, 114th among FBS schools in passing Passing yards yielded average, 270.1 yards is that figure over there. So that's definitely something that White was a part of, and that's something that White is going to need to improve. 
I do think that a huge element of that, and that goes back to our discussion about the 2020 recruiting class and the needs that needed to be addressed, is the fact that Arizona State's pass rush was extremely lacking in 2019. It only ranked 83rd in the country in sacks. So if that aspect of the defense can improve, I think you're going to have a very positive domino effect affected the linebackers and the defensive backfield and really having those passing defense numbers improve. But nonetheless, even with all the challenges that that unit did experience, we did see a lot of the so-called bend but not break in this ASU defense, which allowed it at the end of the day, at least at the end of the regular season, to really show quite a bit improvement in two short years when you talk about very important categories such as points per game, such as such as yards for game. And even if you look at total defense and scoring defense, Arizona State went from 108th and 104th, respectively, dropping all the way down, or I should say improving, to 65 and 41, respectively, in those categories. So there's been a lot of positive traction to this ASU defense, and Tony White has definitely been a part, part of that and I think has been rewarded for his efforts with that, with that promotion to defensive coordinator. But Herm Edwards obviously knew that he needed to keep Antonio Pierce happy. So Antonio Pierce, who is still going to serve as linebackers coach, is still going to serve as recruiting coordinator, has now also been promoted to associate head coach. Now, does that mean the head coach in waiting? Oh, by the way, the same path that folks thought Danny Gonzalez was going to take in Tempe. I think there's an argument to be made about that. Uh, obviously, when you talk about keeping Antonio Pierce happy, and I don't mean to portray Antonio Pierce as someone who is very disgruntled or not happy with his role at Arizona State. But again, with his talents on the field and off the field, namely in recruiting, he is somebody that's going to be in high demand year end and year out. And Arizona State is cognizant of that. Arizona State is working as hard as they can with its promotions of titles, promotions and salaries, or really both, I should say, to keep Antonio Pierce put in Tempe. There's no one on that campus that would even try to minimize the effect that Antonio Pierce has on the program on so many levels. So the promotion of Antonio Pierce to associate head coach, which obviously is going to involve a nice salary bump as well, does put him on the path to perhaps being the heir apparent to Herm Edwards, a coach who I don't think is going to be the head coach for Arizona State past the 2022 season, maybe even want to retire a year before that. So having Antonio Pierce being placed in the position he is right now does buys you more time, if you will, keep him, keeping him happy, keeping him in Tempe. And if he's going to be the one that Ray Anderson and University President Dr. Michael Crow decide would be the next head coach for Arizona State, then you obviously secured yourself the services of Antonio Pierce that much more. Now, some will say that even though he's promoted to associate head coach, to have somebody who's not already a coordinator be the one replaced from Edwards might be an odd way to go about it. But that all circles back to the NFL model. If you want to have a head coach with credible, vast NFL experience to keep that element playing such a huge role in your recruiting efforts, then having somebody like as Antonio Pierce as your head coach down the road, again, not a given, but at least a strong possibility because of this promotion 
that is something that behooves you as uh, if you're Arizona State to just make sure that that element is in place in the future. So I know it's easy to grade all these coaching changes right here, right now, before we actually see how much the offense and the defense improve as a result of these staffing moves. But I think that Herm Edwards did a great job navigating the waters, when, especially when it came to the defensive side of the ball and on the offense really establishing a clear statement of what he wanted that offensive staff to look like. I think Herm Edwards, by and large, juggling a lot of balls in the air. I don't think any head coach at a Power 5 program who wasn't already an existing head coach, had really that much to deal with, as Herm Edwards did, replacing two coordinators, replacing multiple assistant coaches. I think that Herm Edwards, by and large, for evaluating these moves, has done a really, really good job. And I think these coaching changes are going to produce the results that this team is looking for in order to show significant improvement each and every year. So that'll do it for this week's episode of the Devil Junkies podcast. And don't worry, we're not taking any time off for the holidays. We're going to have a lot of preview pieces leading up to the Sun Bowl contest on December 31st in El Paso with Florida State. I'll be there personally to cover the game live for you from El Paso. And we're going to have a lot of front page content leading up to that contest, breaking down the matchup for Arizona State. And our next podcast will come Probably a day or two after that game, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that contest. We'll also talk some ASU basketball as at that time they'll be wrapping up their non-conference slate. Uh, definitely some tough outings over here for the Sun Devils in that sport in the last in the last week or so. And we'll see uh, what we expect uh, them to do going into going into Pac-12 play. So that's something else uh, we'll discuss in the next podcast. Uh, some of our features. Uh, coming up are going to be premium features. So if you're not already a premium subscriber to Devil's Digest, I would definitely encourage you to sign up so you're not missing any of our content when it comes to not only the upcoming uh, Sun Bowl, but there's going to be also some still recruiting uh, content going on for the 2020 class and even the 21 class. We're going to start talking about that in a few weeks. And if you're a premium subscriber, you guarantee yourself that you're not going to miss any of the news on the recruiting front or just team news in general. Thanks for tuning in. Wishing you and yours a very happy holiday season. And we will talk to you again in the year 2020. I was living in a devil town.